because they've got work to do. They've got businesses to run and they, they don't want that kind of disruption. So kind of sometimes we're looked at as a bit of a disruptor. Psychology is we got to do this for the website. But really, they should have done it years ago. Their thinking didn't expand as their business expanded. They weren't thinking globally. Growing a business requires a holistic approach that extends beyond sales and marketing. This approach needs alignment among people, processes, and technologies. So if you're a business owner, operations, or finance leader looking to learn growth strategies from your peers and competitors, you're tuned into the right podcast. Welcome to the WBS Podcast, where scalable growth using business systems is our number one priority. Now, here is your host, Sam Gupta. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the WBS Podcast. I'm Sam Gupta, your host and principal consultant at Digital Transformation Consulting Firm, Elevate IQ. A stock keeping unit, also known as SKU, could be a dummy number, and you might feel how important a number could be. Well, your SKU is a binding thread that ties all your business processes that interact with your products. You could quickly outgrow your SKU numbering strategy if you don't have a flexible numbering scheme to accommodate your near future requirements. The SKU numbers could also impact your customer experience as they are used internally to identify your products. They are also used externally to cross-reference vendor part numbers and search products inside a store or on order forms and invoices. In today's episode, we invited an expert panel of cross-functional experts for a live interview on LinkedIn, who brings significant expertise with the SKU numbering scheme and e-commerce to discuss how SKU numbers impact your business processes. We also discussed several stories of poor numbering schemes and best practices that impacted internal efficiencies and customer experience because of the numbering strategies. Finally, we discussed how to design SKU numbers to accommodate current and future requirements without impacting SEO, vendor, and customer interactions and causing any legal and copyright issues. With that, let's get to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Today, we have a very exciting topic that we are going to be talking today, and that's going to be SKU strategy, which is also known as SKU. And we have some great panelists here. So I'm going to ask you guys to introduce yourself. So Eric, do you want to start with your intro? Sure. Sure. I'm Eric Landman. I'm the e-commerce division manager of Earthling Interactive. I've been building e-commerce sites for about 12 years on a variety of platforms. Uh, been involved in probably about 50 different e-commerce sites for quite a variety of industries. So I'm bringing my on-the-ground experience with all sorts of crazy problems that we ran into building out these sites and uh, it should be interesting amazing guys chris do you want to start with your intro now <laughs> sure I, I like crazy problems we're solving because i think <laughs> that really is what it is at the end of the day right if we weren't solving any problems nobody would need us anyway so it's good to be yeah. here with all of you guys president and uh coo at gen alpha technologies my career is in manufacturing, so spent many years in heavy equipment manufacturing. 
the last 10 years, I've been with Gen Alpha, and we developed an e-commerce platform specifically for OEMs. So a lot of my experience that I share comes from both on-the-ground experience trying to sell both uh, parts and new equipment, and then now working with customers in selling their products online. So pleasure to be here with all of you. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris. Uh, Dave, do you want to start with your intro now? Sure, of course. Hello, everyone. I am Dave Meyer with BusyWeb. We're a growth marketing agency located in Minneapolis, and we work with manufacturers to help drive traffic results and help them convert and automate those results. So as we talk today, I'm also a speaker and trainer for Google, and I'm going to bring a little bit of SEO and just kind of the overviews on how to make sure that your SKUs are being found online as we talk today. So I've been doing this for 22 years and uh, that, uh, you know, you can, you can kind of tell about my goatee, how long I've been around and Mike is sharing that. So uh, let's see what we do here. Thank you, Sam, for the opportunity and so excited to be here with the rest of the team. Of course. And I'm super excited as well, uh, guys. So now let's move to Erin. Erin, do you want to introduce yourself? Hi, everyone. Yeah, Aaron Courtney here. I work with Eric on the crazy problems. Um, <laughs> I'm really looking forward to today because I've heard some, well, I'll just say it, horror stories of uh, people kind of getting surprised by what they need to do with their SKUs when they're working on an e-commerce project. So maybe we'll be able to make sure some of those things don't happen to the folks listening today. And I'm um, looking forward to asking lots of hard and fun questions. Okay, amazing. So, Mike, I think we uh, you are the only one who's left. So, do you want to start with your intro now? Yes, sir. So, thanks for having me today, Sam. Um, Mike Lewis, I'm the co-founder of a company called Click360, which I affectionately like to call a customer journey optimization platform. So, with regards to today, a lot of what we do is in the measurement and analytics space. And so, when you talk about customer journeys, measurement and analytics, understanding how SKUs are converting to revenue and how each one of the funnels may be different for each one of those SKUs. That's where we play a lot these days. So looking forward to it. Okay, wonderful. Thanks, guys. So I'm actually going to start with one question. And Eric, I'm going to start with you. And okay. uh, as you know, we have seen a lot of different businesses, especially from B2C and B2B perspective. These SKU strategies going to be overall very different when we look at different product categories, different micro industries. They are all going to have different needs the way the SKU needs to be numbered. So from your experience, what are different business processes that you have seen that may be impacted by the poor SKU naming or poor SKU numbering? Well, when you have a site uh, or you have a company rather who frequently is a manufacturing company, who has been doing the same thing for several decades. They are not necessarily thinking about how to make it all automated and how to make it all efficient. A lot of the product knowledge and options for various types of equipment is, is in some sales rep's head or maybe the sales manager or, the, or certainly the person who takes care of all that stuff as the, the office administrator, seems like that person is key. But my point is, notice that I'm saying it's embedded in their brains. It's not really embedded in any business systems anywhere. So this is actually a major problem because you can have really curious formations of, of SKUs that grew organically over the years. Uh, I do have a few examples. One, we have a company that sells electrical equipment and uh, 
they have a base skew. The base unit is something like 802. Then they tack a letter on the end, like A. A means phase, but it's like, what, is, what does A mean? So uh, then they have two other parameters, voltage and input, but those are options. They don't have separate SKUs for these things. They're just separate little, like the sales rep makes a note. Oh, it's supposed to be 204 volts and uh, 15 kilowatts. Well, that doesn't work so great on a website. <laughs> you know, you have to have some way to specify the exact uh, base unit and options. And so it forces them to think, to change their institutional thinking about how they regard these products. And that, getting to the answer of your question directly, Sam, that affects all of the business processes. Because then you have products on the website, the SKUs don't match the SKUs in the ERP system. And so they're thinking, okay, how do we deal with this? Either change the ERP system or change the website. Or, or somehow you have some translator um, extension in the middle when you're dumping pricing back and forth or you're dumping inventory or something like that. So you're trying to, you've got mismatched systems. And that's probably one of the biggest problems that we run into is, is re, cause they're not ready to change their institutional thinking usually cause they've got work to do. They've got businesses to run and they, they don't want that kind of disruption. So kind of sometimes we're looked at as a bit of a disruptor psychology is we got to do this for the website, <laughs> but really they should have done it years ago because their thinking was kind of, it, it didn't, their thinking didn't expand as their business expanded. They weren't thinking globally enough. Yeah. And thank you so much for that insight. Uh, you know, some amazing, amazing uh, points there, especially overall defining the strategy and uh, getting that mm -hmm. evolved over time. Yes, I have seen this personally as well, that, you know, you would start, let's say, with 100 products, you have uh, categorized them based on what you had at that time. And then as you grew, it's becoming really hard for you to be able to grow just because yeah. now your needs are not really being met. And you are also going to run into other challenges because SQ is actually going to be printed pretty much everywhere. SKU is going to be printed on, on your invoice, on your sales order. So you really need to accommodate. You need to have the generalized, uh, you know, model for your SKUs. Uh, and that needs to evolve as you, as you, as you move through mm -hmm. it. So Chris, I'm actually going to move to you now. What have you seen in the B2B space? I'm pretty sure. Uh, I think Eric actually stole your example uh, <laughs> from the electric uh, equipment, but I'm pretty sure you are going to have tons and tons of stories because SKUs are far more complex in the B2B space as far as my experience goes. So what are your thoughts uh, around uh, overall planning for these SKUs and how businesses should be approaching this? Yeah, I definitely related to to what Eric said. You know, I think, and you just mentioned it too, that there is this evolution that people are still trying to understand. Manufacturers for a long time have been doing things a certain way. I can go back to my experience back when we had an old, outdated ERP system. Our SKUs used to have classification according to the part number that was the first number uh, in the beginning, right? So two meant it was hardware, six meant it was a gear case. If there was an R on it, that meant that it was a rebuild. And this was all important to the business because as reports came out of the ERP system with sales, inventory, all the different businesses that you needed to slice and dice their information for analysis, they would have to know 
what two stood for, what six stood for, so that it would have some representation in their business. But that's not easy to convert that older thinking into something that you would convert online. When we moved to a newer uh, ERP system, it happened to be SAP at the time. That doesn't mean I'm, I'm suggesting that SAP is the best ERP system, but we moved from an old outdated one to SAP. Uh, it had all of these spaces for us to categorize different areas of our parts. So we no longer needed a methodology at that SKU level be because if we were disciplined with uh, the parts creation process, it would make sure that we had price groups, that we had storage locations, that we would have stock plan levels, that we would have all different. So as long as we were using the ERP appropriately, that, that information was no longer needed, uh, assigning attributes and other things to the parts as well, or item SKUs, whatever you want to call them. Uh, everybody calls them a little different in their business. But I will tell you that in our business, we were a little effective first, efficient later. So I, I'm sure you've seen this in manufacturing as well, where uh, parts, uh, item numbers would get released uh, prematurely. So information wouldn't always get categorized. I can tell you when I moved into Caterpillar organization, they are extremely disciplined and have a very robust process. It takes a long time to get an item uh, released. It goes through engineering, it goes through purchasing, it goes through finance. Everybody has to put the elements onto that item to make sure that when they need to analyze aspects of their business, they have those groups uh, defined. I would say that now it's even a bigger transition because I think, of course, the SKU is important in the business because it triggers many things. But for a customer in a customer facing environment like e-commerce, they're not always going to know the SKU. I certainly don't know the SKU of many of the things that I purchase. What I'm looking for is purchase confidence. And that comes from description, where used, the product attributes all of the other uh, items that are really important in an e-commerce environment. So I guess that's some real world experience of what I've experienced over time in manufacturing, but now um, how we guide manufacturers, like Eric indicated, many people are set in their ways and we have to help them with this evolution process so that they can get more out of the data. So that's what I would share is, is some of my experience. Yeah, amazing insight there. And uh, I think you both are touching on one of the things, and that is going to be more from the user experience perspective, even though your skill is just a number, but it has to be intuitive for your people. And if it is not logical, it's, it's not intuitive, it's just not going to work uh, from the strategy perspective. So on that note, I'm actually going to move to you, Dave, because uh, the work that you do is uh, primarily from the user experience perspective. It's very right. customer facing. So I'm pretty sure you have seen some implications from your perspective as well. Do you have any thoughts around uh, what you have seen working, what you have not? 100%. And I think Chris really kind of teased into what I wanted to cover, and that's the SKU isn't its own thing by itself, right? So the more context and the more interconnectedness you give between these individual stock keeping units and the content that represents them marketing wise, right? So it's the meta titles, meta descriptions, it's the variations in e-commerce and all of that can be related and or connected to the SKU. But as far as a user experience data point, 
you really need to have all of that put together and you need to think about where it goes. I mean, the SKU ideally isn't going to change between products, but as products evolve, as they continue to move forward, you might have a SKU that's sunset into some other product or its child products, right? Mm -hmm. You need to make sure that you dovetail that so that you understand as a user, here's what that product is. And that might be as nerdy as 301 redirects in Google to say everything that was here is now here or talking about in Google and resubmitting the information into Google that, you know, everything that's in this family line is now also here or adding additional tags or additional context and making sure that you relate back and forth. The more links you have between each of these items and the more context that you give so that people can drop on at no matter what usage of that SKU or of that product family is going to be. So it's all part of a big family is what I'm trying to get at. And the more we think about how all of that stuff works together and plan it out from the beginning. And if not, as you keep evolving, you just have to keep remembering to tell the robots, this is what I'm doing, right? So Googlebot needs to know here's where this content is and here's where it was and here's where we're going. So hopefully that was that was uh, helpful. But you know, it's it's all about making sure that people can find you no matter where you are. And you need to do that by just having that content out there and making sure that you're sharing it. Amazing. Love some of the points there. And Dave, I'm probably going to have a clarifying question yeah. uh, if the audience may not have, let's say, as much SEO background. So mm -hmm. you mentioned a couple of things from meta title and meta description perspective. So have you seen these SKU numbers used in the title and description as well? Do you recommend to use them in that or Honestly, would you rather for, use the description? For SKUs, it's probably product names. Okay. And you don't necessarily need to duplicate across meta titles, meta descriptions inside of what the SKU number is because that's really the point of record, right? So the link, yeah. the URL, the UTF of all of those codes needs to be directly connected. And how do we find things, especially if we're talking about B2B and very yep. technical products? A lot of times if I'm just looking for a part, right, no matter what I'm doing, you know, if I'm looking for a part for my car, right, I am going to look it up, find the part number that's stamped on the side of that thing yep. and put it into Google. You need to have that content available, but then it's probably less important to have a pretty description or a pretty title on top of that. The titles in the description give you context so that you know what you're about to click on if you already or if you don't know what that is. But if you know what the SKU is and if yep. you know what that individual record is that separates and differentiates, then you're going to get to it regardless. Right. So I guess it's a chicken and an egg thing. This is. If you if you have a SKU, you should probably be able to find it and making sure that you have the right titles and the right record on that is going to get you all the way there. But for SEO purposes, right, you're just trying to give the individual searcher as much context as possible so that they know that they're about to click on the right thing. Yeah, I completely agree. And I have seen the scenario in case of the some of the enterprises. I don't know if this is prevalent in the SMB space as well. Let's say if I walk to Best Buy and, you know, if I'm talking about the product, they use SKU when they talk to a customer. Okay, you are looking for this SKU. You need to go to the screen and you need to find this. So there is uh, the customer experience is definitely embedded in case of your SKU strategy. And if it is not going to be intuitive and you know the customers don't really understand what this SKU means, then sometimes it could be challenging even for the customer service reps to be able to serve them. 
great insights there. Erin, I don't know, from your perspective, do you have anything to add? What are your thoughts? Yeah, I, I do. Thank you for asking. I was just today, I, I did a post, and I was talking about siloing and how, you know, with an e-commerce situation, how dangerous that is and how many problems that can cause. And if you listen to what Chris had to say, you listen to what Dave had to say, they are talking about networking all of your operations. So Chris is talking about when you're doing product development, start thinking about SKUs. And Dave's talking about when you're doing your marketing, thinking about SKUs. Who would have imagined that you would be so integrally tied together in very obvious ways and your fates are tied together when you're using an e-commerce system? So I think that's something that the audience can really take away. And it's a massive change. That's a big part of the digital transformation change is thinking, hey, we're all in this together. It's not just marketing over there doing their thing. And it's not just product development research over there doing their thing. We need to talk to each other. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Aaron, for that insight. Really appreciate it. And now, Mike, I'm going to move to you. I don't know if you have anything to add from the from the channel measurement perspective or in general, what you have seen in the e-commerce space. And do you agree with everybody, whatever they have said so far? If you disagree, you are more than welcome to share your your perspective. Yeah, no, I don't disagree at all. Actually, why I'm sort of smiling over here is if we can just put a nice big bow on this. I think the pieces that everyone's put together so far is how is this you use throughout all departments to tell us really something's very important that Dave was talking about is how does a customer want to find that SKU? So if we can, sales and marketing world, we talk about, you know, what is the customer looking for? What are they asking for? What are the words they're using? So what Dave was talking about, what are these, what's, what, what are the terms they're searching for? So one of the interesting things in terms of what we've already said is thinking about that perspective. So we have our internal perspective on how we want to use it internally to find a piece. Externally, how do we want a customer to look for that? And from a measurement analytics standpoint, how that piece is being found by customers can tell you a lot about how they want it to be sort of named and how they want to use those pieces for themselves as well. So no, I 100% agree. Love it. Let's put a bow on it. Great commentary. Okay, amazing. Love it. So as you guys know, I am always a big fan of stories and you guys have tons and tons of stories always. Okay, so we are going to do one round of stories in terms of what you have seen with respect to really poor SKU scheme and the challenges that you have seen in your experience. And if you have seen, let's say, really good, brilliant SKU strategy and you could see some transformational impact because of that strategy, I would like you guys to share both of those stories. So Eric, I'm pretty sure you have tons, man. So I'm going to start with you. (laughs) So one poor scheming and that the second is going to be uh, the good scheme. And you guys can simply agree with each other if you don't have a story, or maybe you can tell a related story. So Eric, please go. Yeah, we got a customer who is a bike parts manufacturer. They make things like fenders and seats and lights and that sort of thing. Uh, aftermarket bike parts, and they had they had a site which they called the product catalog, which only had about a third of their stuff in it. So they decided to get a real e-commerce site. Their SKU system was four digits. Now the the problem is that they started with about ten products. Now they have about five hundred and many variations. So they had I'll give you one example. They have a 140 lumen bike headlight. It comes in two colors, black and red. Uh, so the SKUs are 3084 and 3085. The problem there is that sequential. So the next SKU for the next product, which was something else entirely, was, was 3086. Well, what happens if they decide to come out with a green headlight color? Then they're not sequential and they don't make any sense whatsoever. So that's the kind of <laughs> example that you can run into. Um, the other problem was... That's like a 
question on the GRE or something. Like. Yeah. <laughs> so, and the other nasty problem that they ran into is they sell products through dealers and dealers have, they have this really cool feature on their site, which is a dealer locator. So they don't like to sell direct to public so, because they prefer to sell through their dealers. So they're supporting their local dealers and they have this local purchase feature but the local purchase feature uses the GTIN, which is the global trade item number. They didn't have GTINs for any of their products. So they had to go through and generate GTINs, half of which are different. The last part, which is supposed to be the part number, is different than the SKU because of their screwy SKU system. So they've got a, a train wreck and they can't really fix it. So that's an example. <laughs> Okay, so that's a train wreck. And do you have any good stories as well? Have you seen something, um, something good? I, no, I have seen structures where companies have, say they have a six-digit base SKU number, and then maybe the seventh digit would define the type of product or seventh or eighth, so that once you're in the company and you're used to fulfilling orders, you can, you can read the SKU. You can, you know, oh, it's that base, it's that type of product. And especially if they're picking orders in the warehouse, they know exactly where to go. There's no big mystery about it. Yeah. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric. And those are powerful stories. And I'm pretty sure you guys are now thinking that, you know what, I have similar stories. <laughs> so Chris, I'm pretty sure you have you have some sort of them as well. Do you want to share your stories, what you have seen? Yeah, I think, you know, and somebody might have mentioned this earlier, but duplicate part numbers is a real challenge with the customers that uh, I work with. We find that, you know, what happens in the engineering department, a lot of companies, again, OEM companies, they start with the creation of an item number or SKU starts in engineering. And if an engineer can't quickly find in 10 minutes the part that has been designed and utilized or um, chosen by a vendor to be put into the product that they are going to assemble as their whole good, then they will create a new part number. Again, many companies are effective first, efficient later. So they will just decide that they've got to get their engineering work done. So they will create part numbers on the fly. And that, and when they don't have a robust process, that's where duplication comes in. That can create duplication in your inventory. Uh, it can it can create challenges when you really are trying to analyze your business and market to your customers the products that are selling them selling the most. Where I can tell stories that are, you know customers that link that that do a really good job cross referencing SKUs to other part numbers. Vendor part numbers is a great example. Uh, I think, Dave, you were talking about when somebody will search for a SKU. We find that that happens when it's a common part in an industry and everybody uses it, right? So, and there are some of those common parts. It might be a, a, a brake part or something, and everybody knows it by the vendor part number. So they might not know your manufacturing part number in your ERP system, but they definitely know that vendor part number. And if you want to them to buy it from you, you have to cross-reference. You have to allow for that to be linked, going back again to someone's point, linked to your part number so that when they're searching that vendor part number, you have a chance at selling it to them. We find too that when companies do this well, it's a great opportunity to gain market share because if you are selling common component components that are broader than your installed base, so you might have Let's just say you have a thousand units operating out in the field, but in your industry, 
there are 5,000 units and there's this common component and you've linked to that uh, SKU so that they can find you quickly and maybe they're not even finding the other guys or gals because uh, they haven't done a good job linking that. So those that can cross-reference really well and systems, e-commerce systems that utilize that cross-reference and then it's linked for Google search and all other areas uh, can become very powerful. So those are a couple stories on good and bad, and um, but you're right. There, there are a lot of stories out there. <laughs> well, I, I think that's especially as as you talked about. You know, how do you how do you do the common parts, right? So I originally said that you know you should have the same name, but and the name is the big thing that matters most. But as you go across, if you think about the other names that other vendors, other people might use for that same thing, that's where the description. And that's where the title comes into play because that's where it'll pop up, right? Uh, um, a question that I have for the team for folks that have had a lot more experience than I have in this is, is there a legal issue or a copyright issue with maybe going in and, you know, I'm thinking like Amazon or, you know, some other places where it's kind of typical for people to get pirated parts. Can you make claims or should you think about that? Maybe even put in something like copywriting specific part numbers or SKU numbers and is that helpful or useful? Is it kind of a zero sum game or, you know, in your experiences, has that happened to your clients? I, I don't have any experience of it being an issue or a copyright issue. So right. um, that would be my experience. I know straight up there's I, I work with clients where they've had people take out Google ad campaigns for their product number or for their partner yeah. or their product name, really. Mm -hmm. And that's not fun. But sure. I have something to add there. Mm -hmm. We have a customer who's a defense contractor. Uh, they make semiconductors. And the whole defense industry or, and the mil research industry, for that matter, satellites and, and that, runs on military specs, mil specs, M-I-L. And they frequently retire parts. But, I mean, they have some satellite part that's been up in space for 10 years. But they won't need to update it. So the, this part number is, then goes into a PDF file. And the end, when the engineers redo whatever they do, they need to look up the part number for this 10-year-old satellite circuit board. So they always search by part numbers. So that's, that's unusual. You know, you wouldn't know what that part number was, but they happen to know because they've got the engineering specs on it. Dave, so from my experience, I guess, you know, when we talk about this vendor-to-customer collaboration, what I have personally seen is vendors typically want their SKU number to be used by the customer if possible. Not every customer is going to use that, but if they use, it's going to make the vendor's life so easy because the SKU number actually goes on the purchase order. So if you are going to have that SKU number or the barcode, they can simply scan as opposed to translating it because the employees down there for the vendor are not going to have the, the customer's, let's say, SKU number or if they need to read the text, that actually increases the admin effort from their perspective. So in my opinion, I think vendors typically appreciate, but that's a great point about the copyright, I guess. I've never thought of that. So I don't know if anybody else has any experience uh, around that area, but that's a very good point. Okay. Erin or Mike, do you guys have anything to add uh, with respect to this issue? Uh, okay. So Dave, I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm getting some stories from you, brother. Yeah. I, I think for, for me, my favorite 
e-com related story and it's only tangentially SKU related, but I, I work this one into anything I can because I just think it's fun. A few years ago, um, right before he passed away, um, we built a website for Prince and part of that was he wanted to basically remove iTunes as the middleman and sell his new band's tracks and videos direct to consumer. So, of course, we had to put together SKUs, and it was interesting in that as we built that out, it was literally making a table of here's what the track is, what the time is, and you know what the details of that are. So they're all related to the one track, and as they were building out, that was great. But the demand on that particular subset of, of media where the fact, you know, especially when you start talking about downloading the music video was... Originally, he, he wanted to have the full 4K video, and this is 2015, so 4K video was, was very, very big. It was probably two gigabytes to download this video, which is not tenable at all, right? But try telling that to the client, especially when the client is, you know, four foot six and, and wears very, very sparkly shoes and uh, can outsing anybody I've ever met. The, the point is that, you know, building this out so that it could scale and the tools behind the scenes to let it scale. We had to basically build a server structure on, on Amazon so that when he posted that there was a new track available, there would be another 100,000 people visiting that site within the next probably 15 to 20 seconds. And so we had to build it up so that there was 30 servers that would auto spawn immediately upon this tweet going out. And one time he did bite us by tweeting 10 seconds early and it crashed our one little server so hard that we couldn't even reboot it. It would just keep going up and then immediately going down. And I swear to God, I had a full head of hair right before that. And then it just all <laughs> fell out from panic on that one thing. But yeah, so. Dave, I have to say, you told me this story when yeah. we met. Yeah. You left out that the client was Prince. Oh, yeah. Well, <laughs> very much. So, um, I mean, it's a great story. Very right. relatable. Yeah, name drop. But is it too important? Chris. Oh, yeah. yeah. Chris said name drop. Yeah, I left it on the floor. I'll pick that up. For you. Um, yeah, I picked it right up. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's an interesting thing. You know, it, that kind of is where I came from with the whole um, legality and the copyright stuff, though, right? So a big part of what we did as we were building this is that it had to be super crazy mega hush hush. So if we had all that out there, we had to make sure that all of the copyrights were out there, that everything was in and that we had all of our ducks in a row before we published anything because we didn't want people to just rip the copy and then publish it out somewhere else on a streaming site, for example. So, you know, it's yeah, only massively tangentially related to this, but I think it's a fun story. It is definitely fun. Okay, and now uh, I'm going to move to you. Do you have any stories? I'm pretty sure you have. Well, I'm I'm going to start it off and then hand it over to Eric to make sure I'm right. So I was meeting with one of our clients who he'd had a real frustrating experience out of the gates. And part of that was that he wasn't ready to go forward with an ERP e-commerce integration. And his SKU situation was chaos and uh, ended up having to spend I think he said close to 100 hours in a warehouse with a colleague just to transcribe and get that data in. Um, do you recall that, Eric? And, yeah. And yeah, I, th I, I think yeah. the, the takeaway there that is 
part of that was on that to, to right out of the gates, you got to check on some key things. We've since changed our implementation. And I know that both Christina and Dave are doing this. We call it a strategy and evaluation. We didn't have that in place at the time. But it's easy for us to start making assumptions because we've done this for so long and we kind of know what it takes to be successful. And we sort of figure that other folks and oftentimes they have an e-commerce system. So we just make some assumptions. And Things can go a little haywire if you don't check on that right away. So do you want to fill in some color on that, Eric? Yeah. Um, the other problem was the subject matter expert was, in, in this case, the office manager. She All the orders would funnel through her, and they don't have a ton of orders, but they're high value. Well, they maybe may get 10 or 20 orders a day. However, they're worth a lot of money. So she's a very critical person. We wanted to make sure that she was part of the administration for the website. Well, it turns out they promised her time when she didn't have any time. <laughs> so the task got kicked back to some sale, some regional managers who also didn't have any time because they're regional managering their various sales reps. So then they got kicked to the VP of sales and he is not, he is not an e-commerce guy. He's, he's a sales guy. I mean, no offense to sales guys, but they think differently, which is cool because that's sales. <laughs> so he was not focused on the type of detail that is critical for this kind of data. You've got to have it right. So he grabbed one of his warehouse <laughs> guys and went out to the warehouse and started going through the racks and looking at all the tags and dusting them off and going, you know, yeah, well, it was painful. And, that, and also not just not just um, extra work for them, but it, it added about three months to the build-out time because they had so much to go through. They, were, cause they kept starting it and stopping it, and, you know, people had jobs. They, this was just an extra thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's sort of brutal and draining and not very exciting work to do, but it, it yeah. must be done. So the sooner in the process you can start thinking about basically you're you're creating a database that has a ton of value and you mm -hmm. got to get moving on that, um, the better. And so I would implore anybody that's watching who's getting ready to build an e-commerce uh, to really think about SKUs as being fundamental and not just kind of, oh, one of the things that you kind of have to deal with. It's it's That's why we're focusing on it today because it can derail your whole project. Yeah, something else to add. One of the things they uncovered is that they actually found some holes in their ordering system. They were checking the racks for anode rods for these electric devices, and they realized that they had way more on stock than they realized. The anode rods didn't have a particular part number. Somebody would just say, oh, hey, we're low. We should order another bundle of those because it takes two months to get them. And if you get somebody who's a little overly eager about having stuff in stock, Next thing you know, you've got $50,000 worth of inventory sitting there for eight months. And so that was illuminating also. Yeah, I, your story reminds me of a, another story that I have as well, especially in the pre-work section of getting ready for e-commerce. And it, it has more to do with the description of the SKU than the SKU number itself. And that has been that, and then this is common with many customers that we, I would say prospective clients that we would potentially work with in the future. And with one of our early clients, they had in their description of their SKUs, 
were very highly engineered descriptions, right? So a lot of abbreviations, a lot of things that commercially aren't, they don't mean anything to somebody when they're using an e-commerce platform. Additionally, inside there, so they might have uh, the dimensions, they might have abbreviations, and they might even list the vendor, which of course you, you wouldn't want to put right into your description unless you have a really solid relationship with that vendor and, and somehow it would be bringing you some value. But typically, you don't want them to be able to go elsewhere to purchase that item. You want them to purchase it from you. So you want to have a clear enough description with all of the attributes to ensure that that they would know that by the description and those attributes. So the company that we worked with, they had over, it was just over 250,000 SKUs that they had to work on just getting a commercial description ready. And that's, that's an exercise. It's an exercise across an organization because the, you know, there's no pattern. A lot of, again, companies don't have discipline when it comes to which abbreviations are used. So when they're going through and you're sorting and maybe you're sorting by alpha alphabetical so that you can kind of hit some in, in a row, it was a very long exercise uh, getting them ready. So for companies that are listening, again, to, to Aaron's point, if you know you have this situation, it's something you can start working on right now. Stop the abbreviations, start working on commercial descriptions, start thinking about the way a customer would think about your part. And not only just one single description, but the synonyms and the other th ways that people look and search for your product as well. So uh, good examples yeah. there that you guys have been bringing up. And that's huge because the more you own the IP, the more you own the thought, the thought leadership on any one of your products or services, the more you're going to rank for it on Google, right? And there's a reason why duplicate content is not looked highly on or doesn't rank on Google. Because everybody can just copy, but the canonical version, the first version of any given piece of content on the web is always given the best ranking. And that's your ownership of it. That's why you need to put the descriptions behind it. That's why you need to lead forward with that. I love that, Chris. Thank you. Yeah, some uh, amazing points there, guys. I uh, appreciate your insight, Chris, the way you described that you, know, you need to have some sort of, I like to call this as center of excellence, to be honest. When you talk about the item item data, vendor data, customer data, you should have some sort of guidelines in terms of what acronyms you could use across this master data, across the product category. Uh, and that actually brings in the, the control for normalizing the data. And if you don't have that control, then what is going to happen is everybody is going to start their own thinking process. They are going to type the way they like it, that the way they personalize it. And it could be a nightmare overall from the centralized control perspective, especially if you have multiple entities where you are sharing data uh, across different entities then it's almost like you are speaking different languages, not only among departments, but, but also across your entities. On that note, Mike, I'm pretty sure you have some stories from your perspective as well. Do you have any stories so far that you can think of that you would like to add? Most of my stories come from a personal experience trying to find that part as a consumer, a lot less on the creation of the SKU side. Yeah. So I'm actually sitting back and I, I threw in the comments, one of my favorite things is pay for it now, pay for it later, whether that be your, your, your SKU competencies or your marketing competencies or how you want to set that up for people to find you. I would focus on getting it done right the first time so you're not redoing it. These stories just sort of hammer that home that 
if you have to go back and redo it, it's going to cost you a lot of time, money, and effort. Versus if you get it right the first time, there's probably a lot of um, revenue to be captured. Yeah, amazing story, and and I love the way you think, uh, Mike. Because you know, thinking from the consumer perspective is what is going to give you the customer experience. And in case of SQ, in my opinion, I think customer experience matters a lot overall. Not only how you are going to look at that skew but also how your processes are going to be driven utilizing that skew irrespective of whether you are talking about the payment processes or you are talking about uh, you know inventory lookup on your e-commerce there are just so many different dependencies that you have because of skew so eric i'm actually going to move to you now and now i mean we can agree as a group that obviously the skews need to be centrally planned it needs to have some sort of database i guess and you mentioned that point but let's say if i'm the manufacturing cfo or the e-commerce cfo and obviously i know that i have tons of problems because of skews because SKU is the is the foundation of everything that drives my inventory that drives my warehouse that drives my payment processes that also drives my customer experience on e-commerce so let's say if you were the manufacturing or e-commerce cfo either you if you wanted to start on your e-commerce journey or if you wanted to fix the existing SKU situation, what are going to be some of the considerations that you are going to recommend to me as an executive so that I can fix the SKUs, I can normalize the way they should have been normalized? I guess the first thing you have to consider is the impact on business operations. The last thing you want to do is create more chaos. So you would, I would try to stage it out and say, do it do it in phases and say, okay, firstly, we need to look at the entire constellation of products and services and categorize them in an agnostic way without getting some product manager's nose out of joint or something because that's their little territory. That's not easy to do. You know, you got some CEOs got to crack the whip there. Get a plan, make sure that it's flexible enough to adapt to not only what you have, but what you may what may come down the line so you don't get stuck in this oh well that's how we did it eight years ago now we're stuck right with a four-digit skew and you've got 10,000 products well you got a problem there <laughs> also make sure that your business systems can accommodate these modifications so at some point you, you would do a phase transition you'd have an old number you'd have a new number use them all simultaneously and at some point you'll be able to cut over when people are comfortable with or comfortable enough with the new systems that's what i would suggest well i i just think that last comment is it just gets to one of these key things that comfort level the culture change the you know all of those things again going back we're talking about skews but it it's it's such a nice concrete example of how you know like you said nose can get out of joint and how you plan for that early on is I, I think that would be kind of a cool um, topic for us. The, the cultural stuff, getting people ready, kind of making the transition. What are some of the steps? Because you can't change your skews if people are resisting and they're going to lose some of their, you know, like you said, their territory and things like that. So I just uh, I think it's important that um, that we get to that at some point because that could be really helpful. OK, Chris. so far. Do you agree with Eric? Do you have any considerations that you would utilize as the manufacturing CFO or the e-commerce CFO in designing the SKU, in designing the numbering? Would you look at the warehouse 
would you look at the inventory would you uh, use specific keywords when you look at the the overall uh, your inventory and the product portfolio if let's say this were your company how would you design your SKUs? yeah i mean i think if if i were answering to a cfo or advising a cfo i would really speak to the efficiency gains when you have this standardization in place right so you 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 have to speak to the payback because the challenge is that you can start at one point but you have to go back so from from today forward we can agree as an organization that we're going to do skews in whatever way is the right way for our business and i, I would look i, I would certainly have a project team with stakeholders across different departments who are going to benefit from SKU management and include somehow the customer side of things, right? So you have to think internally and externally when you're thinking about the, if you're going to make a change to SKUs. The, the challenge when speaking to CFOs is they're thinking about the dollars, right? And if you have to go backwards to make correction, that's where the effort is. Not that there is an effort in the plan going forward, but all the effort to make the correction going backward is where they get very concerned. So you have to think about strategies of how you can not impact the business so significantly. You still want to get today's work done, but you want to make this change. So that transformation has to occur. We found that interns can be great for projects like this. Uh, when you get a cross-functional intern group, particularly engineers, engineers are really great at this. They're just dying to have an experience with a company. And you get them into the meat and the dirt of what is challenging and, and where there are issues in a manufacturing organization, and you give them a target and a timeline, it's a very inexpensive way to attack a problem. So we recommend interns uh, in, in scenarios like that for for cost savings, but have a, a, a dedicated resource who's helping not just correct the mistakes of the past, but build the strategy for the future and, and hold them accountable for that strategy. So I, I guess that would be my feedback for that. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Chris, for uh, that insight. Dave, I don't know if you are going to yeah. have anything uh, to add there. I'm looking for a specific answer in terms of, you know, what can I do to define my skills? Let's say if I'm the manufacturing CFO, can you help me? I am going to give you a little bit of a cheat answer, Sam. Okay. And that Love is it. you need to be talking to an expert. So you need to figure out and connect with somebody that can help you make those decisions, that can ask the right questions, that can get you to the systems thinking. You need to be talking to Gen Alpha. You need to be talking to Earthling. You need to be talking to Elevate IQ. You need to be talking to Click360 to see if you've got the right data pulling you forward and into the right content. So if you don't have the right people to lean on, one of the biggest things that I think, especially CXO level execs do a lot, is they think that they can make a decision in a vacuum and have it turn out. If you don't think about all of the steps that go into it, it can really blow up later, like the four digit skew. You know, it seems good when you're just getting started or if you're just if you're a small business owner, if you're a sole, sole prop that's just starting out. A lot of folks in manufacturing just start out because they can manufacture a widget, see a need, fill a need. Right. And the rest will magically help. If you start building to scale, you really need to think about everything that goes into that process and make sure that you're connecting. And a few thousand dollars at the beginning of a process is going to save you 
tens of thousands or millions as you get into the massive scale. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Dave, for that insight. Okay, so Mike, we still have the specific advice. I don't know if you're going to have anything for the executives in terms of defining these skills. Do you have any anything to add there by any chance? No, I've got to echo what Dave said. Um, if it's not your core competency, find somebody who's, who's it is and yeah. plan for growth, plan for plans, plan for strategy. Don't do consecutive numbers. If there's a chance, you might have something that need to be intersected in the middle somewhere. There's some really great stuff, and I hope the folks watching today have gotten some value out of this. Okay, amazing. So we have just two minutes left for the show, and we want to make sure that everybody is able to incorporate their last-minute closing thoughts. Okay, so Eric, do you want to start with your 10 seconds closing advice or yeah. any thoughts um, you might have for executives? Closing advice is they should listen to this broadcast. Seriously, they should they should get input from the entire team, which is really standard management practice, but not everybody does it. Okay, amazing. Thank you so much, Eric, for uh, that advice. Chris, do you have anything for executives? Yeah, a lot of great advice here. I would say do the work. This is so important. If if you're listening and you're resonating to the stories, that means you have work to do. Go do the work. The payback is in the work. So uh, you've got to get started and uh, go do the work. That's that's what I would leave. Yeah, amazing advice. Thank you so much, Chris, for that. Dave, do you have any any advice? Yeah, just just to, to echo everybody else and to say, you know, pay yourself first to make sure that you're putting in the investment right now so that you can scale and grow later. The cool part about manufacturing in particular is if you do this right and if you find the market, the sky's the limit. So set yourself up for success right at the beginning to make sure that you don't crumble under your own weight as things really start to catch fire. Okay, amazing. Love it. And Mike, I'm going to come to you first and then if Aaron has anything, I'll be We'll give her a chance for the last minute. I mean, you never know. She's going to have tons and tons of advice. Okay, Mike, you. I'll be super quick. In addition, everything everything that's already been said is listen to that customer feedback. If they're having trouble finding it, understand why. Exactly. Why is so important. You know, I just, I think it's important to know that we empathize with how hard this is. You do need to do the work, as, as Chris said. It is a lot of work. It won't be perfect. It won't be seamless. But you need to take it seriously because... There's no other option at this point. So powerful. Thank you so much, Aaron, for uh, for that. And from my perspective, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate it, everybody. Thank you so much, panelists, for your insights. You guys all are amazing. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, everyone. Yeah, thanks, Great everybody. to be here. Bye, everybody. I cannot thank our guests enough for coming on the show, for sharing their knowledge and journey. I always pick up learnings from our guests, and hopefully you learned something new today. If you want to learn more about Eric Landman, and Aaron Courtney, head over to earthlinginteractive.com. It's E-A-R-T-H-L-I-N-G-I-N-T-E-R-A-C-T-I-V-E.com. If you want to learn more about Christina Harrington, head over to genalpha.com. It's G-E-N-A-L-P-H-A.com. If you want to learn more about Dave Meyer, head over to busyweb.com. It's B-I-Z-Z-Y-W-E-B dot com. If you want to learn more about Mike Lewis, head over to click360.io. It's C-L-I-C-K-360 dot I-U. Links and more information will also be available in the show notes. If anything in this podcast resonated with you and your business, you might want to check other related episodes, including the interview with Krissa Klein, who discusses the supply chain, nuances, of the apparel industry and its unique challenges. Also the interview with Andrew Hood who discusses 
why classifying and promoting the reuse of parts is vital to save costs. Also, don't forget to subscribe and spread the word among folks with similar backgrounds. If you have any questions or comments about the show, please review and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform or DM me on any social channels. I'll try my best to respond personally and make sure you get help. Thank you, and I hope to catch you on the next episode of the WBS Podcast. Thank you for listening to another episode of the WBS Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform so you never miss an episode. For more information on growth strategies for SMBs using ERP and digital transformation, check out our community at wbs.rocks. We'll see you next time.